Chalio, and I'm your host of the Tobacco Cessation Podcast. Today's episode focuses on the importance of public health working with state Medicaid programs to improve tobacco cessation coverage. We know that Medicaid enrollees smoke at a rate twice as high as their counterparts that are privately insured. This is an important population to reach, both because of the disproportionate burden they have regarding smoking, as well as their limited resources they have to quit. I'm joined by my colleague, Alyssa Beers, who's the Associate Director for Population Health at the Center for Healthcare Strategies. Alyssa and I discuss different strategies that states have used successfully to improve coverage and eliminate barriers for this population. It's so important for public health to be able to work with state Medicaid programs in order to collect data, improve coverage, remove barriers. Building a relationship between the state tobacco control program and the state Medicaid office is a key foundation in order to improve coverage and to really work with the Medicaid program to reach a population in need. Over the course of my conversation with Alyssa, we talk about a number of different organizations and we use some acronyms. Um, One of them is CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. This is a federal agency that works to prevent disease. Um, And the other one acronym that we use is CMS, which is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. This is the federal agency that along with states oversees state Medicaid programs. Additionally, Alyssa and I will talk about a comprehensive cessation benefit. This benefit includes seven FDA-approved cessation medications and three forms of counseling. Additionally, we talk about barriers to accessing those treatments. Those barriers can include cost sharing, prior authorization, stepped care therapy, duration limits, annual limits, lifetime limits, and I think there's a couple others as well. Um, but just so you're generally aware of what we're talking about. Lastly, we also talk about a number of resources that are available. A lot of them are available on the American Lung Association's website, www.lung.org slash cessation TA. Others are found on CHCS's website, which you can find the link to in the show notes. And lastly, if you've got any questions or are struggling to find these resources or want to be connected to an expert, please feel free to reach out to us at cessationta at lung.org. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Alyssa. I really enjoy talking to her. Hello, welcome. Can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Sure. Thanks so much for having me, and I'm excited about the opportunity to connect with you today. Uh, By way of introduction, my name is Alyssa Beers, and I'm Associate Director for Population Health at the Center for Healthcare Strategies, or CHCS. CHCS is a nonprofit policy center that's focused on improving the health of people with low incomes. So we partner with states and federal agencies, health plans, providers, and other community-based organizations to advance innovations for organizing, financing, and delivering healthcare services. So I oversee our population health portfolio, which focuses sort of beyond healthcare on health-related social needs and the social drivers of health. So my team and I work to facilitate partnerships across sectors and silos um, to align and advance common goals in a person-centered way. One of the ways that we met was through the 618 Project, which I know you've been working on for the past number of years. Can you tell us a little bit about this initiative and what it aims to do? Yes, 
Um, so we've had the, the great opportunity to partner with the CDC on the implementation of their 618 um, initiative for several years now. I'd say in a nutshell, 618 promotes the adoption of a set of evidence-based interventions that can both improve health and control costs related to six um, high burden, high cost health conditions. So tobacco use, high blood pressure, inappropriate antibiotic use, asthma, unintended pregnancies, and type 2 diabetes, all the big ones, so to speak. 618 has two goals. The first is to improve health and control costs using specific evidence-based interventions. And the second goal is to develop um, sustainable collaboration between public health and healthcare sectors. So through support from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, my team at CHCS began working with CDC as well as other partners, um, including CMS, and the Association for State and Territorial Health Officials and the National Association of Medicaid Directors um, to essentially help inform state Medicaid and public health agencies' implementation of 618 strategies. So, so through that, we were able to help public health and Medicaid teams from 40 states and local jurisdictions and territories across the U.S., to partner together to enhance um, coverage and access and use of 618's prevention practices. And I'd say the exciting thing about 618 is that it provides a framework for public health and Medicaid to partner together around um, the implementation of specific concrete and evidence-based strategies through a focus on um, different phases of implementation. So like, for instance, Medicaid coverage um, of prevention practices, provider adoption, so promoting covered benefits to providers to increase the provision or referral to services, um, and then also consumer utilization. So um, doing targeted promotion of covered benefits to beneficiaries to ensure that they're aware um, that they have access to these available benefits and services. So why would a state adopt the 618 initiative framework? What are the benefits for public health and what are the benefits for Medicaid? Oh, and this is a great question. You know, I I think we all recognize that chronic health conditions are a significant driver of healthcare costs, right? But the good news is that they're also preventable and um, and manageable and and treatable. I think in response to this sort of long-standing trend of high healthcare uh, system costs in the U.S. and underused preventive care, there are just a lot of important changes underway now. I'd say with a renewed focus on providing healthcare coverage and delivering care that will have the greatest health impact. So 618's interventions, again, as a framework, have the potential to benefit Medicaid and public health in that they can improve health outcomes and reduce costs and even um, spark innovation in a, a few different ways. I'd say the first is around supporting Medicaid's quality improvement goals. So, for instance, states operating a Medicaid-managed care program are required to develop a state quality strategy, right? So that includes measurable goals and targets for improvement. Um, and states use 
different mechanisms to hold managed care plans accountable for improving health outcomes, uh, including financial incentives, right? And adopting CDC 618 interventions may provide health plans with an opportunity to provide evidence-based interventions. So for instance, asthma self-management education and home visits. Uh, it also provides an opportunity to inform uh, members or enrollees about available interventions, such as, for instance, parent education about asthma triggers or promoting increased use of cover treatment benefits by tobacco users, and um, also the opportunity to improve measurable health outcomes. The, the second benefit to call out is around accelerating the impact of value-based payment efforts, which is a really big one, right? The the selection criteria that CDC used to identify 618 interventions are in sync, I would say, with the goals of value-based payment or VDP efforts, which are to improve health outcomes and reduce or control cost growth. So the 618 interventions can potentially support or even strengthen Medicaid VDP strategies. Um, 618 also promotes coverage changes that healthcare payers can make to even better align their benefits with VDP efforts. So for instance, Massachusetts um, aligned its 618 efforts to remove barriers to smoking cessation treatment within its Medicaid Accountable Care Organization program, which essentially holds those ACOs financially accountable for the total cost of care and performance on tobacco cessation quality measures. And another benefit is around promoting effective cross-sector collaboration. The 618 framework provides a really clearly defined scope of work around which Medicaid and public health can collaborate. So Medicaid and public health each have their own unique areas of expertise, and 618 provides such a nice concrete way um, to leverage those unique areas of expertise. For instance, Medicaid has expertise in healthcare payment and delivery uh, with access to an analysis at state and federal clinical and uh, clinical and health expenditure data, and public health on the flip side has disease specific expertise uh, with access to data on disease patterns and causes and locations. Um, so it's really about identifying those opportunities to leverage one another's unique skills and expertise. And I would say, well, we actually developed Medicaid and public health primer and FAQ documents that I'll share with you um, that lift up each agency's distinct roles and complementary skills related to covering preventive services. So I think those are a few of the key benefits or the sort of quote unquote whys of adopting this framework. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks so much. That's really great what, you know, the benefits of this work to both public health and Medicaid. And I know there have been a number of successes states have had related to tobacco use. Can you share some of those success stories? Oh, my goodness. There are so many. I would actually encourage listeners to definitely check out some of the accomplishments that are highlighted on the 618 Initiative Resource Center online. There's state spotlights that summarize states' efforts and achievements, and also there's an interactive map that you can click on that lists out successes, too. But sure, I will share some examples based on um, 
each of the different tobacco cessation interventions, just to give you a sense or a flavor of what some states have done. Um, so one of the key evidence-based interventions is to increase access to tobacco cessation treatments, which includes um, individual, group, and telephone counseling, and also FDA-approved um, cessation medications. So within this, it's a focus on things like adopting Medicaid coverage for these treatments. And also, um, they've worked on things like expanding the types of healthcare providers and settings that provide Medicaid-funded tobacco cessation services or, or the medications. So, for instance, in Colorado, they enacted legislation to give pharmacists the authority to screen and assess patients' tobacco dependence and provide cessation medication and also provide counseling on cessation medications and strategies. And then after the legislation was passed, the state and their key partners and stakeholders also developed a medication protocol and an accreditation program for pharmacists. Another evidence-based intervention is on removing barriers that impede access to covered cessation treatments, such as cost sharing and prior authorization. So under this intervention, states have focused on a variety of different activities, including engaging with Medicaid-managed care organizations, um, either through direct conversations or through written guidance to the MCOs to, to share state Medicaid regulations that prohibit access barriers and also to ensure that the MCOs have a clear understanding of policy definitions and policy requirements. So I'd say a couple of examples of success here include um, New York. So New York removed a number of barriers to smoking cessation services for Medicaid enrollees um, with a behavioral health diagnosis, including um, this two-course annual limit on assisted quit attempts and prior authorization requirements. They um, then also worked with Medicaid managed care organizations to open the enhanced benefit to all Medicaid enrollees. And then also in Massachusetts, they worked to remove co-pays for tobacco cessation medications um, at the same time as they were removing co-pays for opioid addiction medications and overdose medications. So essentially, they framed that um, activity as eliminating co-pays for medications that directly address drug addictions. And then um, a third intervention is focused on promoting increased use of covered treatment benefits by tobacco users. So this intervention is essentially focused on provider education and outreach, as well as consumer awareness. Um, so in Rhode Island, they actually developed an at-a-glance matrix for providers uh, that described which tobacco cessation benefits were avail are available to Medicaid fee-for-service and managed care enrollees, as well as to commercial health plan members. And they distributed those matrices to provider offices through face-to-face um, -face meetings, but then also posted them online um, just for easy access. And, and then another example under this intervention is in Minnesota. Um, and in Minnesota, they expanded outreach for the states, uh, what they called, you can afford to quit smoking 
consumer facing campaign. So they had essentially a public awareness campaign, which included translating um, a consumer brochure into 10 different languages. In parallel, they conducted community based engagement activities um, specifically to generate awareness of Medicaid's tobacco cessation benefit in disproportionately impacted populations. And then afterward, um, the, the state of Minnesota studied the impact of their efforts by analyzing Medicaid claims data from the state's all-payer claims database. It seems like the states did really cool things. Um, if there are other states that want to learn more about the 618 initiative or access helpful resources on participating across public health and health care for prevention, how can they do that? Yeah, and, and there are so many more examples uh, above and beyond what I just mentioned quickly here. So, um, sure, there's a ton of wonderful and actionable resources available for states. I would encourage folks to visit the CDC's 618 webpages for really thorough background information about the framework and for evidence summaries. I'd, I'd also encourage states to visit the Online Resource Center, which is um, 618resources.chcs.org, and I'll share that with you afterward for the notes. Um, that is just chock full of materials, tools, uh, state examples, all that serve as a practical resource for anybody who's interested in uh, engaging in evidence-based interventions to improve health and, and control costs across these agencies. That's really great. A ton of awesome resources. Are there any way for states to learn from each other? I know we've had a lot of success in different cohorts we've had, but not everybody has the time to participate in those. So are there any way to do, you know, figure out lessons learned? Sure. And one thing I should have mentioned is that the Online Research Center also has a private online community for state Medicaid and public health. Uh, representatives to access. So if folks are in a state and are on the online resource center checking out information, they can also click on um, what we call the CoLab, which is an online community platform that's private. It has discussion forum threads where folks can pose questions to one another, um, connect with peers across states, and um, support one another by asking for advice, but then also offering um, promising practices of their own. Uh, there's also a, a member directory where if folks wanted to reach out to peers in another state to ask a very targeted question um, outside of the discussion threads, they have that opportunity too. So that's another resource available to states. Great. And, you know, I know you guys would be help, are help, a helpful resource and our team at Lung is happy to help connect people to those resources if they are struggling to find them too. So, And I guess my last question, just is there anything else that you want to add that I didn't get an opportunity to ask you? Hmm. Sometimes folks ask about tips for successful partnerships among public health and Medicaid. And I would say to invest time, invest time in understanding one another's agencies how they operate, what the priorities are, um, what the opportunities and constraints are, what their levers are in their sort of day-to-day. Because the more that public health and Medicaid can understand the technical components of each other's work, the less that those 
become sort of unintended obstacles to successful partnerships. This just opens the door to focus on building relationships and trust to enable collaborative work on prevention. Um, and then finally, and I would say I mentioned a lot of different state examples today, and those were mostly drawn from the work that we did with those states and resources that have been published and shared, highlighting their accomplishments. And so again, I would just encourage folks to check those resources out um, if you'd like to dig into specific examples of other states' activities. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Alyssa. I know I really enjoyed talking with her. Here are some things that I took away from that conversation. First, you need to invest time with the state Medicaid program and build a foundational relationship in order to achieve any goals to improve cessation coverage for the Medicaid population. Second, it's important to learn from what other states have done, and there are a lot of resources available to help you. And lastly, this work can be incredibly innovative. There are creative solutions to improve coverage and help smokers on Medicaid quit. Encourage you to reach out to your Medicaid office or your tobacco control department if you're a Medicaid person. And always feel free to reach out to the Lung Association if you have any questions. And I will see you next time on the Tobacco Cessation Podcast. Thank you for joining.